Dunhuang. Situated along the ancient Silk Road, where fine arts and divine beliefs merged with the natural world. It's where the East and West interacted and where the world's largest Buddhist art gallery still fascinates and amazes people today. A place where stories of life and death, love and hatred, passion and desire, faith and sacrifice have been generated and told for 2,000 years. Buckle up for our podcast, Why We Love Dunhuang, the one and only podcast that can take you to the fantasy world of Dunhuang and beyond through our audio tour. Listen and subscribe for free on major podcast platforms. Why we love Dunhuang? You will have your answers. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Gao Junya in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, to tip or not to tip? It is the question you need to find out when you visit a foreign country. And if you happen to pay a visit to North America right now, the question is how much should you tip? And does the self-checkout machine deserves a tip? Too. And are there goods and services you no longer yearn for after you've reached the age of 35 or any other given age? We discuss the item that's fallen out of your wish list as we grow older and hopefully wiser. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. When you're there and you're so inclined, please give us a five-star review. It will help other folks find the show. And another way to get in contact with Roundtable is to send us an email or a voice question to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. In our heart-to-heart segment, we answer your questions on the show. And now on Roundtable, as we continue today's discussion. On TikTok and Twitter, or shall I say X, Americans share their thoughts and grievances on tipping, where every dollar carries stories of appreciation, societal norms, and maybe a hint of awkwardness. Tipping is on the rise across the U.S. More businesses have started asking for a little extra. Fast food restaurants, chain electronic stores, online retailers, and even self-checkout machines are now asking for a tip these days. So what tipped off this situation? Um, yes, we see there are articles, um, for example, this one, The Guardian, uh, reported on t- the tipping culture in the U.S. is out of control. Josh, um, fill us in. Well, I'm not sure if I'd say it was out of control, um, but it's definitely a really complicated issue. I'm from the United Kingdom, and this is a country where it is extremely complicated. There's no standardization or real consistency when it comes to tipping. Um, and so I, I'm continuously and perpetually confused by this whole concept myself uh, i must admit and i'm really interested to hear what you guys think about it to be honest um especially in china i know that in china usually there is no tipping culture here right um which was extremely refreshing for me when i when i got here uh because at least i knew where i stood when it came to this issue right well the u.s norm of tipping is at least 20 percent on a meal this is according to the guardian 15 to 20 
Yeah. Yeah. And at the very, very least, one dollar a drink at a bar, and that's always confused European tourists apparently. And recently, the tipping. Amount has gone up for some people, and certainly is very, very pervasive. And okay, if you go get a coffee or pick up at takeout order, for example, the electronic screen will be turned in your direction, asking if you want to add a twenty, twenty-five, or thirty percent tip. And it's just getting increasingly normalized. Junya, you've been around the world, and、uh, what's your observation of tipping? Personally, I think fifteen to twenty percent tipping now it's a norm in the U.S. I think it's fine, but if they keep raising this amount to twenty-five or thirty percent, I think it's definitely over tipping. Because from Sub-Saharan Africa, I was well traveled there. Usually, tipping is not mandatory, but I think it is customary. And I can't remember one time that I, that I didn't tip. Oh really? Yeah, always. You're you're such a good tipper. <laughs> <laughs> Because I think it is also part of the norm, but it's not that much. Maybe one dollar, two dollars, you know, in Zimbabwe, and some of local currency, right? U.S. dollars. Oh, We're、wow. using U.S. dollars there. Oh, okay. Because they had quite unstable local currency. It's an, another story. Yeah, there are some top restaurants. I would say they would、uh, include ten percent gratuity fees in their service fee, but mostly we just give any tip we would like to give. Yeah. Right, and I have to say I'm quite grateful that here in China, it's the norm not to tip, and in really nice restaurants, sometimes the service charge is included in the final bill, and then you expect top-notch service then, which you know hopefully you're quite happy with paying for that extra amount. But in general, would you say that people? Would be happily surprised if they get a tip. I've read some articles on the internet saying that maybe some people find it to be a little bit rude in our culture or in like neighboring countries like Japan as such. And then when you offer a tip, but is it really that gratuitous? Really? <laughs> I think it depends. I think especially in those big cities like Beijing and Shanghai. I think those service guys—they are more open to tips. If we give them some extra, yeah. Or if we round out the bill, <laughs> usually, for example, if I take a taxi,、mm-hmm. I will round out the number. If it's seventeen yuan, maybe twenty yuan. So I think they—they're happy to take that. Yeah. Maybe some people they think it's rude. Maybe in certain places, they are not that open, or there were not so many travelers from outside. Maybe it could be like a cultural shock for them because it's not a thing that's used to happen.、Mm. Maybe they will return it because,、uh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Well, Josh, how do you feel about、um, the tipping etiquette or custom here in China? And also, you mentioned the complexities for. British people, when it comes to tipping, too. So, what do you think about this? Well, I'm definitely not a stingy person, and I don't mind tipping at all. But I find the Chinese custom of tipping, or the lack of, to be actually quite refreshing and calming for me, because calming, at least I know where I stand in this situation. Well, I have pretty. I have a bit. I have bad memories of tipping because I spent a long time working in restaurants when. I was at university in London, and if you think it's complicated for the customer, it's even more complicated for the workers. The way that it ends up being split between them. Some businesses and establishments have 
quite strict ways in which they divide all the tips by all of the workers, say, at the end of the night or even at the end of the month on the payday. They'll pool all of the tips and then split them between people. But of course, a lot of the workers feel that that's unfair. Maybe you gave one table great service and then, I don't know, Johnny um, at the bar has done no work for the whole month and then he ends up getting a nice big chunk of the tip that you earned, right? But at the same time, I remember that I have one story. I was working making cocktails in a cocktail bar and I was always at the bar making tons of cocktails throughout the night. And my very good friend, she's still one of my best friends to this day, she worked in the same restaurant and she would go and serve the cocktails at the table. In this particular establishment, it was whoever served the drinks got the tip. And at the end of every shift, she would come and quite happily boast to me how much money she'd made through tips uh, on the evening. And I would get zero. I would make no money from tips. So she was basically on double the pay that I was on, even though I was making all of the drinks. So this obviously causes a lot of dissatisfaction and conflict uh, in the workplace. And I, yeah, so I like it in China to answer your question. That's a long way around to say that, yes, I, I like the tipping culture here because it's simple and I know where I stand. Yes, I think that's why in some restaurants I visited in Zimbabwe or some hotels I visited, they prefer to let us put um, the tips or gratuities in a certain box. And they're saying it will be shared by the staff. Mm. Yeah, it happens. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But in most cases, we just give to a specific person. Yeah, because yeah. it's usually the person that you really, let's say, enjoy the service of and you want to. But there's so many other people behind them. Yeah. There's the chef who made the food that made the service great, right? There's the person who made the drinks, you know? Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Well, no, actually, right. I remember, see, Josh, what you said that really surprised me because um, sometimes, you know, when you go into a really busy bar and there's usually a queue and, you know, I go up to the counter and then I sort of sweet talk the bartender a little bit and then it's like you know can i can i cut the cue please and you know and then sure there's your tip <laughs> oh you're one of them you're one of them <laughs> yeah I, that's a bribe <laughs> i will shamelessly admit to that yeah i've, I've done that before guilty as charged <laughs> but it really shows that uh, tipping is kind of an intricate thing and it says something about the culture and also i suppose the makeup of um the salary of the working staff because why tipping is so important in the U.S. is that okay well the bottom line really all over is who should hold responsibility to paying your workers a livable wage and in the U.S. for a long time for the service staff like waiters for example they very much rely on the tip and here in China mostly Waiters, for example, well, they get paid a fixed fee and um, and that's supposed to be your monthly salary. And so I think there's there's definitely, you know, when we talk about tipping, then it's also sort of important to look at the breakdown of the salary of the hospitality service workers. Yeah, mm-hmm. speaking about that, you know, no tipping culture in China and also in Chinese restaurants in Zimbabwe, there's no tipping. We don't have to leave a tip to the staff. It's interesting yeah. because, yeah, they have a culture of tipping stuff. But in Chinese restaurants, actually, you don't have to. 
<laughs> is that included in the bill already, or mm, as in it's not shown on the bill actually? Yeah, so yeah, it's absorbed it's in, in every the, dish. Yeah, it's <laughs> in their salary. Yeah. yeah. Also, now in the U.S., because、um, according to these reports, that、um, tipping is kind of going out of hand in certain circumstances when you know the service staff expect a handsome amount in the tip, and also. You know, with the、uh, flipping of the screen as you are paying for your bill, then you're being stared at. It's like there is this pressure that you tip more,、um, the more the merrier, that kind of thing, and and it does add to a certain level of stress and also stress to your wallet as well. And now they're saying that even self checkout machines. Could be asking for a tip. You know, there's that one little square icon thing that you can tap on. How do you feel about that? As a Chinese person, I'm shocked to hear that this is even an option. This should not be an option. Why is it something that people are being asked to do here? Josh, what do you think? Well, the simple answer is because it makes the business more money, right? And I know there's a lot more to it, but. It makes sense from a business point of view. I think that it is difficult for the customer, for sure. And at the end of the day, you don't want to be disrespectful or impolite, and that's why this little button, as you say, can actually fill you with almost a, a little sense of dread or anxiety or concern as to whether you're a good person or not, or whether <laughs> you know you could walk away and not pay it out of principle and then feel this sort of niggle of guilt for the rest of the evening, right? It's And that that is a very powerful emotion that businesses all over the world, industry plays on. They play on our emotions, right? And I guess that tipping is kind of playing on that bit of guilt that many of us might feel, right? And yes, but what、profitable. about with, let's say, you're being served by artificial intelligence or、um, AI-empowered <laughs> software, and then when you self-check out, by the way, no human being is serving you. And you're being asked to tip. Who am I tipping? AI? I thought the engineers yeah, already got well, their tip, like in a handsome amount, ages ago. Yeah, I mean, it depends who's behind it all. I guess. I mean, from the workers' point of view, if there are still human beings somewhere working in the hotel making things run, then I guess you could, to play devil's advocate, you could argue. But yeah, if the whole hotel is being run by robots, then. Nah, <laughs> no need. <laughs> yeah, Junya, what do you say? Um, I would definitely not giving any tip to AI <laughs> or any digital things. I prefer, you know, human to human interaction. And I would give a tip once, you know, I was served. You know, I can enjoy the service. I'll give you an example. I hope this doesn't sounds too crazy. I once gave a guide, you know, for a safari tour, one hundred U.S. dollars for tip. That's huge. It is, but it's not only me. Three of us. Oh, each of us, we give him one hundred U.S. dollars. What did he do? Because we really enjoyed that trip. I think it was a three day or four days trip,、oh. and three nights, four day trip. It was such an eye opener trip. We had. Some、oh. bush walk, and you know we saw those big fives. You know the must see in Africa, right? Lions, Li leopards.、Oh. Yeah. So we were quite excited, and we enjoyed the whole experience and service. That's why we've decided <laughs> each of us <laughs> give him only one guy one hundred U.S. dollars. Wow. <laughs> May I ask if um 
there was an expectation at, at any point for you to give it to him? Was it mentioned? Or no, no, definitely. Or it's was just this completely out of the blue. Yeah, it's it's not what really? he's expected. Yeah, oh, it's that's just great, you know. lovely story. <laughs> yeah, the only time I can remember giving such a handsome tip, nothing compared to what you have shelled out, my friend, was. Ages ago, when my family took um, another group of um, family friends on a trip to the Morgau Grotto Caves, because we had international guests with us. So the guide spoke English all the time that day of the tour and explained everything to great detail. And we were so pleased with her service. And we gave her a 100 yuan tip at the end of the day. And, um, you know, when you receive such wonderful service, you want to give back to them, to the people, hardworking people. But what tipping culture can sort of backfire is when there's the expectation of, Oh, no matter what service is provided, they're expecting a tip at the end of the day. And then when you're not happy about the service or you think that was a mediocre job, that was, you know, like B minus service and um, and you don't feel like giving that tip, but you're compelled to give the tip. And that's when it feels kind of miserable. And I think that's also one of the criticisms out of the tipping culture, if, you know, that seems to be the custom of a particular country. Well, I have to agree with you on that one. And I guess that the answer here really, for most people, I guess for some people, they're okay, and they can go with the flow, but it depends on people's personalities. I, I always like to know where I stand. And I think that having some sort of standardization and um, premeditated knowledge of what you should and should not do when it comes to tipping is important. And when it gets very muddled, like it is in the United Kingdom, Australia, I think is the same as the UK. I think that for someone like me, it can be very stressful. So ultimately, this is going to be different all over the world for a very long time. Who knows, maybe we'll have international standardization at some point. But for now, I think I personally need to learn to just be more flexible and just pay up probably. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would also, I'm a woman of her principles. So yeah, I think you need to work hard for what you get. But you know, well, it's easy for you to say, Huyang, if you work in the service industry, you'll probably have a very different answer to that. You're listening to Roundtable. Coming up next, what have you stopped buying after you turned 35? Stay tuned. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the hour of Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Junya in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. As we grow older, stepping into your 20s, 30s, 40s, and so on, there might be certain items that don't make it to your shopping cart and wish list anymore. These are just some contestants. Just hear me out. Low quality clothes, fast fashion, cheap electronics, and many more. Internet users in China have been adding to a list of things we've stopped buying after hitting the 25 age mark. What are they? Well, here are some of the things that internet users 
on knowledge sharing platform juhu.com say that they've stopped buying and services that they've stopped paying for. Junya, fill us in. Sure. I think according to this research done on juhu.com, here are several things that people don't buy after they turn 35. Uh, expensive pre-wedding photos, <laughs> wedding, affordable luxury brands, that is entry-level luxury brands, and also even for traditional luxury brands, and expensive cars, clothes or shoes that you don't really wear or want, insurance, gym, yoga class membership, buying too many courses for kids, expensive cosmetics products from international brands, dining out. Hmm. Well, actually, a lot of them deserve a little bit explanation. I believe so. And some of them, I think I would agree with them, but hmm. some of them not. For example, the expensive pre-wedding photos and wedding. I think it is personally, it's not on my plan. I won't do such things. Even I'm not 35 yet. It's coming. It's you know, it's close. But no, no expensive pre-wedding photos. No, maybe no even no wedding ceremonies. Really? <laughs> what about when you're like in your let's say early 20s? Did you see it differently? I think so. Yeah, maybe at that right? time you fancy something like that. Yeah, but now no. No. Yeah. What about you, Josh? You've heard the list. What are the things that you agree and disagree about? I guess that. It makes sense. I mean, it's not really something that I can agree and disagree with.、Um, I know that a lot of my friends are in their early thirties to mid thirties. I'm not quite thirty yet, and I know that I've already stopped buying basically everything.、Um, <laughs> I did maybe about four years ago. I don't really know what I buy anymore. You buy、um, microphones.、So、I guess this rings true. Yeah, microphones. You know, I love buying microphones. I listen、um, and remember. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I do, yeah. I I like buying microphones. I guess I'll probably never stop buying those. Maybe I will when I turn thirty-five. That's not on this list, though. Right, so yeah, yeah. But well, luxury items make sense to me. I guess、mm -hmm. that at some point you start to get more priorities. I guess would be my assumption about this and spending such. High amounts of money on luxury items, if you, depending on your budget, of course, wouldn't make as much sense. Especially when you get to that age, I guess more people start getting married, start thinking about, or have already had kids, which are all very expensive. I guess it's, it makes a lot of sense. Hmm. Well, I do have some things that I agree with, and things that I'm like, really? Hmm. We we need, maybe we should talk about it. Okay. For the affordable luxury or entry level luxury goods. Apparently, a lot of women are saying no to them after they turn thirty-five, and that makes a lot of sense. It's like once you get a bit older and you've been in the workforce a bit longer and hopefully saved up a bit, and then you realize、um, if you're competing in you know the world of vanity, and then entry-level luxury goods don't say much. You know, it's probably not necessarily the image that you're going after once、um, you've earned a bit more, I suppose. And then you realize maybe that's a waste of money. And once you graduated from that class of vanity, then maybe you think, "Huh, luxury? That luxury designer brands? That's like nothing to me anymore." And congratulations, then you're you're really a graduate. Then, <laughs> so there's sort of a change in mind in revelation in that sense, and、uh, and people would shop for different kinds of brands.、Uh, mainly, I think it has something to do with your understanding of style, 
luxury as well as the amount of money we have in our pockets. And、uh, one thing I don't really know if people are so unanimously agreeing with is like. Expensive cars and things like that. Because、um, correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, but isn't it like the holy grail for a lot of men and stuff? <laughs> Or do you think that luxury cars is something that people don't really, you know, they would stop thinking about it after they're 35? Or like, you know, these.、Like uh, my honest answer.、Mm-hmm. My honest answer is, I think it depends if they have kids or not. Mm. I think that's a massive one. Yeah, right. To, to be honest, and、Thank、I know that's a massive oversimplification, but、mm. I, I think that's the main one.、Um, <laughs> yeah. If you've, got, if you've got kids, unless you're really, really well off, or you're just absent from from their life, to be honest, then <laughs> why most people aren't going to have space or time or money for a sports car with you know two seats in it. Yeah. See, it depends on your lifestyle and what stage in life you have taken it to, and that has a lot to do with、um, the kind of shopping and consumption choices we make. But also, gym and yoga class membership—that's something that people sort of have phased out after they turn a certain age. Do you agree with that, or is it that we've just made peace with ourselves? We're not going, no matter how much money we've paid for. We're just not going. <laughs> Personally, I don't agree with that because、mm. I think we're getting old. I think we are going to pay more attention <laughs> to our health. Yeah. So I think we are going to spend more money on those gym class and yoga class. So yeah, you don't agree with the、one. opposite. Yeah. Okay.、Picture. And what about insurance? Because okay, there are some insurance agents out there who've made a bad name for the profession because they're not professionals. But if it's a good Affordable and sound insurance policy. The younger you get it, the less you're paying for it. So, yeah, what's up with、um, you know not buying insurance after you're 35 or you know just getting older? Do you have some thoughts on that one? Or some of the things that you agree and disagree, or you see it happening or not happening on the list? Yeah, I think I'm not that wise. So insurance wise, I will just rely on the company, what kind of insurance they're buying me. So I'll pass. <laughs> But I am actually thinking about buying some insurance for my parents. Yeah, house insurance because they're at a certain age.、Mm-hmm. I think yeah, there would be some policies and you know insurance to guarantee you know I can get some benefit. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm thinking, and. Because you know this whole topic, it's talk about after turning thirty-five. So this is this whole aging thing. For me, I would get less sweatiness, more bitterness. The bitterness, I think, is one gym and yoga class membership would be part of that. We have to work out hard and, you know, to keep fit, <laughs> stay in you know, a good、uh, health condition, and we have to eat certain I don't know supplement. You know, these days,、um, one of my friends he recommended me this、uh, fish oil from Norway. It tastes Bad, very bad. <laughs> But I am taking、yeah. it every day on a daily basis, five millimeters <laughs> per day. It's crazy. It sounds crazy. But they're saying, you know, this oil helped me to get certain kind of omega or vitamin.、Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm taking that. Yeah. Well, I guess that our consumption habits are often based or heavily influenced by the changing necessities in our life. And as we get older, our priorities change and. Our necessities and investments change. The people in our lives change, 
um, they either get fewer or they, they may increase in our immediate family or the people we care about. So I guess that it makes a lot of sense, especially when you, we talk about this very specific age, 35. I guess really when we say 35, we're talking about like the end of the road, not the end of the road, but like, I mean, that's adulthood for sure at that point, right? I know at like whatever age you're supposed to be an adult, but I think by 35, I think that's an age where most people have reached that point, right, where they've made a decision about where they're going to be, who they're going to be with. I know this is not a rule for sure, but I guess that's why we, we're using this number right now. Yeah. Well, we've all heard of the term quarter life crisis. So that's inferring like 25, I think. But now, you know, with the changing uh, educational landscape, work environment and a lot of these factors in life that maybe 35 is more of the age at least we feel it here in china that it's almost like it's a tipping point of some sort hopefully to a promising future <laughs> and that brings us to the end of today's roundtable thank you so much junya for joining the discussion here in the studio and josh cotterell for always delivering wonderful thoughts online and thank you for tuning in you can find us on apple podcast at roundtable china i'm he young we'll see you next time <laughs>